I'm Chris Weiner, and you're listening to Through Scientist's Eyes, a weekly exploration of how science gets done and some interesting science facts. And then we work backwards, right? How do we get from the what's important to you to how we got there from the scientist side? And, you know, the, the idea is that when we have these conversations, what we're really trying to do is educate you so that you can find the resources. And this episode is going to be really around finding the resources. Um, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go a little bit outside of my depth, to be honest. Um, I'm not an immunologist. I'm not a virologist. Uh, I did do some study as that. But what I want to be able to do is give you the confidence to, to look at the resources, um, to find your own resources, to really go after it and understand the subject in a way that makes you comfortable. Maybe it's as simple as the one YouTube video that goes through at a cartoony level what's going on in your body. Maybe it's reading the primary research, the papers and the reviews. Um, So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to, this will be a little bit shorter than some of the ones where I've gone into my areas of expertise. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that we connect that, what's going on now, with what we've talked about in the past. So let's hop into it. And I think what's important and what I want to get across to this episode is that in some ways, the new mRNA vaccines for the COVID virus are really the next evolution of what we know is a very, and what we have a lot of confidence in from a process perspective. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the idea of what's a vaccine? Why do we do it? Where does the name come from? How are mRNAs similar to it? And how do we, you know, connect that to all this stuff we've talked about around protein creation, mRNA, transcription, translation, UTRs, all this stuff are all part of the story. But we have to start with what what's a vaccine. And, and I always like to start with why we do it rather than what is the name. So why we do vaccines is because it's far safer to vaccinate somebody against a disease <clears throat> than to get herd immunity. We know that there's going to be a certain amount of unnecessary death and disease and long-term effects from allowing a virus, even a non-deadly virus, to infect the human population, right? Again, we have to think at the population level, not the the self-centered level. And what we do with vaccines is what we, we make either one of three things. Either we take a real virus we make a lot of it, we boil it up so that it's not an, not an infectious virus anymore, but it's just the bits and bobs, the parts of it. And then we purify that up and we inject it into your arm. So it's not really we're injecting a real virus, we're injecting the parts of a virus that can't put, themself, put themselves together to allow your body to understand what's going on, to find the, find the parts that it, it thinks recognize the, the whole virus and create a, a set of antibodies. Now, that was the initial one. That's how we got started. What we've done in the last 100 years, again, because we've been doing mass vaccinations since at least the 1930s and maybe before, depending on who you believe. And there's a lot of really good resources out there on what's a vaccine and all these other parts that I won't, so I won't go too deep into it. Suffice to say, 
There's a couple different technologies, and one of the ones that we found most effective, and the safest, by the way. So, real quick on the safety part. When we talk about adverse effects and side effects and all these other things, we have to remember that all these are have been tested in depth. And I'll go into some of the testing parts that went into the mRNA viruses, vaccines, as part of, you know, kind of that conversation. But there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, that's why take, making a vaccine takes multiple years. Um, it's because we test every piece of it. We test which protein would we, should we use. Is the protein that we're using efficient in a, in a dish? Is it efficient in, our, in a mouse model? Is it efficient in people, right? So there's, there's a stepwise process that we have to go through. And at every step, you have to get the answer yes. And you have to get that it's X percent efficient. So it has an efficiency or efficacy rate. And typically, this has to be in the high 90s, which means that 95% of the time that you give this vaccine, that it does exactly what you want it to do. There might be side effects such as fever or or non-serious effects, or there might be serious effects. But those are part of the non, those are accounted for in the, the, in the efficiency and the efficacy. So some of the most important technologies that we're doing nowadays, we, what we do is we take the virus apart, we sequence the, all the proteins so that we know all the proteins that are in the vaccine. We then, what we call a challenge experiment, where we take all the different proteins, we make a, what we call an ex vivo or in vitro copy of that, and we challenge human immune system cells in a dish and see which ones make antibodies. We can then take those antibodies and test to see which ones bind the virus the best. That's the process. So we, again, we, 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 we take the, pro the virus completely apart. We check which parts are most relevant to the, to the cells understanding what a virus looks like, that specific virus. And then we take that and then we make a new copy of that. We, we again, reverse engineer the antigen that led to the antibody response and that we, we mass produce. In a nutshell, that's a, that's a vaccine. And it takes advantage of the, the, what we'll call the extracellular. So what do I mean by that? Extracellular means that it's not inside the cell. It's the, how does the cell recognize it? So most vaccines are protein derived, which means that what we're gonna do is we're gonna have those toll-like receptors or TLL receptors are gonna recognize the vaccine protein plus what we call adjuvants, which are just the the amino acids that we kind of coat the the protein in so that it, it looks like a virus with big air quotes so that it'll come into the cell the cell then uses its normal what we call the innate immune response which is the process of breaking down a protein reverse engineering it and creating what it feels is the right lock and key it then creates that antibody and the cells go through a process where they create all these different antibodies to what they think is the right antigen, and then they throw them out against the response to the cell. When you have a vaccine, what you're trying to do is reduce reduce that that process so that it doesn't have to make a billion cop different permutations, a hundred different permutations. 
we reduce that down to one or two. And that gives you that gives you immune system response to a specific virus. Now, where that gets really interesting, this again, going back to the flu vaccine, what we know is that the flu mutates so quickly on the parts of, of the flu virus that we need to be able to use to kill the flu virus. It mutates those so quickly that we have to change the vaccine kind of every year. Um, sometimes we have to change the parts that we vaccinate, parts of the vaccine, the antigen that we use every once in a while because the flu is, is just this, you know, swappable bits of Lego. Um, it always, it has a backbone that's always the same, but that backbone we can't vaccinate against because it's not available to the cell. There's a bunch of structures that protect the, that, that core self, as it were. So that's why the flu vaccine is a yearly one um, because the type of virus is very mutatable and changes. Whereas if we look like something like measles, mumps, rubella, very static. To be a measles, mumps, or excuse me, <laughs> rubella virus, you're very static. It's, it's kind of locked in stone. It's not that malleable. It's not Lego. Um, so you can have the type of vaccine that lasts for a really long time. And that's the difference here. When we start looking at COVID, COVID comes from a family of viruses that change all the time. They're highly mutatable, similar to uh, if, if you know the, the common name of SARS or the MERS virus, M-E-R-S, um, or anything that we call the common cold. A fun fact is the common cold is like hundreds of different viruses. Some of them are coronaviruses, similar to COVID. Some of them are other kinds of viruses, the rhinoviruses, which rhino is the Latin term for nose. So the common cold is anything but common. It's, it's a series of different viruses. They all kind of have the same symptoms. So before we knew how to, to sequence a virus, we just said, ah, it's a cold. It's not very deadly. The reason we can't have a vaccine to the common cold is because there's no such thing. It is thousands upon thousands of viruses that mutate at a high rate. Another one that mutates, um, which was work that I, um, my, the virology work that I did as, as a youngster. And by youngster, I mean in my, 19, my late teens and early 20s, uh, is hepatitis. There's now five or six different type of hepatitises. Um, and when I was working in the lab of Fred Prince, who was one of the people back in the 60s who kind of was one of the initial people who worked with the Nobel Prize winners to define hepatitis and these other parts. And some people believe he should have been on, on that Nobel Prize in the 60s. Found that there, there was some areas that were caused immune, immune response, but weren't immune related. And what I mean by that is they're part of the core body of the virus and they swapped out and they changed. And so the virus not only changed how you could vaccinate against it, which is really hard, it also changed its targets. So hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and hepatitis C, which are the ones that I know just a little bit about, all have different effects in the body. It's 
in some ways really cool, in some ways it's really scary. And that's where we get into <coughs> these really interesting problems and questions. But, you know, that's a really deep subject and, and one that I won't go too in too much. But I think it's important to recognize that when we talk about these things, if just because we know how to vaccinate against one virus doesn't mean that we just kind of hot swap, you know, HIV for COVID. We don't hot, we can't hot swap it. There's still a lot of work that has to be done to define all the, take the very generic pieces and turn them into a very specific process, a very specific vaccine so that the body can recognize that exact virus because the viruses don't look the same. Um, they all look different. And, and some of the names are based off of how they look. So for example, coronavirus is named coronavirus because it has this corona around it, this crown, which is these these kind of horn or horn-like things that stick off it when you take a picture of it in an electron micrograph. Um, some of the other ones are named for their structure. Most aren't, um, but you can take a picture of them at depth with microscopes that have been around since the, the 60s, an electron micrograph. Um, that allows you to see what they look like that you can't see in a normal in a normal microscope and that gets us back to the mother virus as it were and and where vaccine the name vaccine comes from what's really cool is that the name vaccine is actually not it's not a process vaccine is actually short for vaccinia which is uh, the name of the cowpox virus. And that gets us back to the vaccine protocols and how do we know about those? Um, and Ed, Edward Jenner, a physician, as I mentioned, in, found that when he was talking to and looking at milkmaids during a smallpox outbreak in his area, they seemed to not get sick. But what they did, what, what he did find out in his research as he was talking to these milkmaids, which was an actual name of a, of a, of a task that you did. And, you know, if you did that task on the farm, you were a milkmaid. Um, the milkmaids often got cowpox, uh, which is very, very related to smallpox. And again, going back to that, how swappable it is it? cowpox and smallpox and a couple other different poxes types of viruses very similar in what they look like to the to the body but cowpox while it can infect a human is not all that serious an infection it's still serious um, you still get sick but nowhere near as sick or the long-term scarring or the long-term mortality of smallpox um, so what what Jenner found is that if he took scrapings from the these women who were who had cowpox and he took scrapings from their their cowpox scars and and scraped that onto the skin of another person he could transfer their immunity to smallpox now let's be clear that was the 1700s you would never ever ever be allowed to do that today because it is extraordinarily dangerous um but there was an, an active outbreak and it made sense to him to do. Nowadays, we don't have to take those kind of chances with people's lives. We've, we, we have more stereotyped and clinically backed ways to do it. But again, 
when we talk about viral vaccines and vaccines in general, that's where the name comes from, is from that process and from the cowpox vac uh, virus, which gave some immunity, gave a lot of immunity actually, to the smallpox virus. And we've adopted that and we've created a whole process and a whole set of standardizations around it. So what does that, what does that tell us about the COVID vaccines? I think the one thing that should be the take home message is that all of that logic backing that comes from over 100 years of vaccine immunology, virology, is all part of how we know those mRNA vaccines are safe, how we know they don't integrate into the body to give you some weird disease. We've just, what we've done is it's the next evolution. It's a tuning of the process taking what we know about the cell biology of gene expression, how mRNAs are created, how mRNAs are managed in the cell to simplify and make the process more efficient so we can better mimic a virus without ha having as much dangerous material going into the human body. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some risk. Um, anytime you're adding a foreign substance in the body, you're potentially giving anaphylaxis, which is that process of your, of your immune system overreacting. Um, if you have allergies to anything, like myself, who's allergic to bee stings and shrimp, anaphylaxis is that process where your throat swells up and you get this ironic effect of getting more sick from, from the antigen than you would have if your body had just not done anything. Um, and anytime you give a foreign substance, you always have that risk of, an, of the immune system responding in an inappropriate way. mRNA vaccines are designed to provide less virus-like stuff such that you get less opportunity for that happens, reducing the risk and reducing the number of people that may have adverse effects. That's the whole goal here, is to reduce the number of people that have adverse effects effects while increasing the likelihood and the efficiency of the process so that you have better vaccination, better antibody responses, you know, more of a one-to-one -one reaction such that you give the mRNA vaccine, you get the, the right antibodies for that disease or virus, and then you can move on. It should allow us, and time will tell, to be have a faster response. So if, if uh, and I hope this doesn't happen. If COVID-19 turns into COVID-20 by next summer, we can hot swap out the one part that is COVID-19 for a part that's COVID-20, and all of a sudden you have a new, a new vi vaccination. You, you have the same protocol. Um, you should reduce the time. You can hot swap out pieces. Um, this is part of why Pfizer and Moderna are so comfortable that these new mutations that we're starting to see from the UK, from uh, other places, are not going to slow down the process of vaccination or immunity in the human population. So how does it work? It's actually really cool biology. Um, and and what, what basically they know they can do is they can mimic a mature mRNA. So the reason it's called an mRNA is because what we inject looks like what the body would have created if it had taken in the viral particle, broken it down, 
and then started the process of understanding what the antigen that it needed to create the antibodies was. So what we're doing is we're taking that first part, which is really sloppy, where it's breaking everything down, trying to figure out what, what amino acids it needs to make, the, make the, the lock, as it were, for the key, or the key for the lock, depending on how you view this. And we're just saying, you know what, just stop it. Here is, <laughs> here's, your, here's your lock. Make the key. Don't worry about trying to make 100 keys and then just, you know, trying the lock all the time. Here's your key. So we're now reducing that step in the cell. So we're increasing the efficiency. And then we're doing, we're, we're giving it all the right signals so that that key, as it were, gets made by the right area of the cell, gets sent to the right area of the cell after it gets made, and we're reducing, we're creating efficiency. So just like, um, you know, when you're filling out a form for your local government for your dog licenses, we all want to just have to fill in a couple different areas. Um, for many of you, that might mean having Google Pay or Apple Pay, where we have one place where we go to put the Apple, we put our credit card in, we never have to worry about all the different stupid passwords, and it just works. And that's really all there is to the mRNA vac vaccines. So if you understand how a cell creates an mRNA, you understand the process of what we got, we created. If you understand why we make an mRNA, you understand why we targeted mRNAs. So we targeted mRNAs as the vehicle to make the antigen so that the body could make the antibody. This means that we end up, so why didn't we just make the antibody for the cell? Well, it's kind of like the, if you teach a man to fish, fish for a day if you teach a man to f if you if you give a man a fish he'll fish for a day if you teach a man to fish he'll fish for a lifetime the cell has memory cells so it retains all the the antibodies that it's ever created itself to every virus that's ever infected you from the time that you were born it may never need to use those but it keeps them for 20 30 40 50 sometimes 60 years Depends how often you see that virus. Depends how how um, how much your body responded and how close you were to being really sick. A lot of different factors that I won't go through here. Um, but that's why we instead of giving the antibody to kill the virus, we give the antigen so the body can make the antibody, because the body still needs to retain that long term. Because you won't it won't be just one challenge. You'll see it over and over again. And if the body doesn't have the memory cells that have the antibody, it can't respond a second time. And it can't remake those. It can't reverse engineer those. It can re reverse engineer from an antigen, but not from an antibody. And with that, I'll say thank you again for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope this gives you some confidence to go up and look at some of the sources. And, and I'll tell you what I used to do as a teenager. And before I got into understanding all the scientific terms, find reviews, put into PubMed, go to NCBI's PubMed, just put that into your Google or whatever you use to search. Sound like an old man. And in PubMed, just search for a scientific subject and review. And then just use the free text. Um, in, one, in the first episode, I have one in there, I have the 
NCBI PubMed. And what I'll add, I'll add the link to that in here too. And that's it. That's, and just look at the images, look at the figures. There's gonna be a lot of really good figures that'll give you that high level overview. <coughs> the other thing you can do nowadays is you can look at YouTube. There is some amazing videos for every level. Um, there's some free college courses on there. There's a lot of scientists that do um, video whiteboards um, that are in depth at a subject. Uh, feel free to look for those and, and, and just try and understand. Do your best. Um, there's a com comedian that my wife and I were watching called Tom Papa and he has his most recent one is you're doing fine and he goes through this of just do the best you can and that's my my advice as well so with that I'll say thank you uh, and um, I hope you join me again t next week when I come out with a new episode thank you